At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. All these guys who run these organizations who talk about analytics, they have one thing in common. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game and they never got the girls in high school and they just want to get to the game. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. As you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? Now, now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, folks? Welcome into another edition of Hardwood Handicappers on this Sunday. we got a good show on tap. A lot of great guests are going to join us over the course of the next two hours. Coming up in 15 minutes, Adam Stanko is going to be with us. Going to talk a little bit about the NBA draft, which is quickly approaching. And the odds, of course, are starting to grow. More and more stuff available up on the board. Adam, of course, VP of Content, Executive Producer, 24-7 Sports. So he'll be with us in 15. Bottom of the hour, Vinny Maiulo, 3.45 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to get the bookmaker's perspective on Game 7 tonight in the Eastern Conference Finals. Winner, of course, as we know, has the right to go and move on to take on the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. Second hour, William Hill, decent contributor, host of the New York City cast, get his handicapping perspective on tonight's game, how he would handle an NBA Finals between either opponent. And we check back into the WNBA. Of course, Daniel Ovari will be with us at 4.45 p.m. Pacific time, part of a weekly hit we're going to start doing here on Hardwood Handicappers as we check into the Women's Association. But of course, where do we begin but tonight? Game seven between Miami and Boston. Celtics open up on the road, a two-and-a-half-point favorite in an elimination spot away from home. And the market betting this thing, I shouldn't say like they know it's already over, uh, but the market support for Boston has been very overwhelming in the series over the last three games or so, and it is not stopping today. Boston up to a three-point favorite, total of 197 at multiple spots, a couple of 197-and-a-halves out there as well, two points up from the total this morning, which got to as low as 195-and-a-half. So I think any analysis on this game, it's got to start with the number, right? We'll get into the basketball stuff here momentarily, uh, but it is wild. Look, look, and this is somebody who considers Boston the best team left in the NBA postseason, somebody who at one point, which we'll get into it from a series price standpoint, thought that he'd be willing to make the Celtics a favorite in a series against Golden State despite not having home court. But this is pretty surprising, the support here for Boston and just the overwhelming nature of it. If you're looking at it from the perspective of a power rating, right? Let's go back to the beginning of the series, all right? Now we're talking about game one, and game one had some noise in it. Game one was Miami minus four at close. Remember, we had those injury issues. Marcus Smart didn't play. Al Horford didn't play. So that number was all over the place. And if we're using four points as our barometer for home court, which it has been in this postseason, it's exactly what it's been worth if you're using the median results of these games throughout this playoff. Well, when you start to get to some of the other numbers, you realize how much respect the market has for Boston here. 
Game two, Miami closes one at home. On a neutral, that would translate to Boston being a three-point favorite. Game three, a little bit of noise there because the Celtics didn't have Robert Williams, but still close minus six, which would translate to about a two-point spread on a neutral. And you continue to see, as you're tracking some of these numbers throughout this series, that this is continuing to climb in favor of Boston. Well, look at game four, for example. Actually, no, we're going to game five. Game five, Boston, full strength. Heat don't have Tyler Hero. Celtics close minus three on the road. That would translate to a seven-point spread on a neutral court if, again, you're using this four-point barometer for home court. It has been wild to see this at this point right now. So here we are, game seven. Boston, three-point favorite on the road. Four points for home court. That would mean Boston seven points better than the Miami Heat on a neutral. And I'm sorry, but even as somebody who thinks that Boston still is the best team left in this thing, and we'll get into the basketball reasons as to why they are in the position that they are in, playing an elimination game on the road when they have plenty of opportunities to do so in terms of winning this series, this is a little too high. The bottom line is you should not be laying this kind of a number on the road in a game seven, an elimination setting against the Miami Heat team that you have yet to put away at this point right now. And as far as the total is concerned, I mean, look, a lot of people are going to tell you game seven unders. It's the way to go since 2013 from Steve McAdam in both the conference finals and the NBA finals under six and zero in game sevens. So we have a very small sample size uh, that would tell us uh, that the under is the way to go. Only six games since 2013 is not a sample size that I think it's worth buying into, but still the market will like that sort of thing. So let's get into the actual numbers behind this though, because in this series, the market has thought that this is going to be a lower scoring series through the, through the first six games of the series, average closing total 204.7, but the over four and two through the six games and the four games that have gone over the total, well, they've gone over the total by an average of about 15 points per game. So not only are these totals really low in this series and the market has really been pricing it as a very low scoring series, four of them have gone over the total. And when they go over, they're going over by a lot. So while we have this game seven scenario, the sample size that we have to work with now is the market was already kind of low on this series to begin with. And now it seemed to be really overcompensating for that getting to as low as 195 and a half. So not surprised that there's some buyback here. I would still look at looking at this thing over the total. Again, looking at some of the basketball reasons as to why this might go over the total. We'll get into momentarily. But again, just analyzing this from a number standpoint, from where we're at side and total wise. It just seems really strong on both being a lower scoring game, how low this total got, and how high the market is here on Boston in this instance. Just don't know why this would be as high as it is. So from the basketball standpoint, let's talk about a couple of things here. Because I came into this thinking that Boston was the better team. In fact, I sent Matt Humans. I'm going to have to get a screenshot of it and use it for the show during the week. I sent Matt Humans a text message the second that the final, the Eastern Conference finals were set. And I think I said something along the lines of Miami's going to tear, excuse me, Boston's going to tear this team apart. Obviously not the case. We're in a game seven and, and Miami's got home court there. But still, you look at some of the numbers in this series and you realize that, hey, Boston, there, there's a reason why the market thinks that they're a better team. To which degree is something we can talk about. But Celtics, plus 10.8 non-garbage time net rating despite sitting in a 3-3 tie. Much of this is, I think, due to Boston's tendency to shoot itself in the foot. For example, let's look at the turnovers. In this series, the Celtics have turned it over on 16.9% of their offensive possessions. It's a pretty high mark. In losses, they have turned it over on 20.3% of their offensive possessions in non-garbage time minutes. It's massive. And those turnovers kill you, right? We know that, obviously. 
but especially when they take place in the early part of the game. Let's hear from Ime Udoka. This was after game six. They started talking about, he talked about this, and like, look, the turnovers, not only the beginning of these games, but throughout have killed us, and it's a reason why we're in the position we are. It's, it's kind of indicative of how our nights have been in this series uh, when we don't take care of the ball. Um, a lot of careless ones, unforced, uh, and that got us behind, obviously. We had to dig ourselves out of a hole from the, from the get-go. You know, got it back to 29, 22, but weren't playing our best at all. And then throughout the game, like I said, anytime we got within striking range, it felt like we had a poor decision, whether it was a turnover and they got out and scored. And so it kept it at like five to seven point margin. So had chances and didn't take advantage of them. Yeah, in reality for me in this series and for Boston as we move forward into a potential series with Golden State, if they do indeed win this game, um, it's the offense, the turnovers, the execution that kills me with the Celtics. There's been, like, for example, right, there's been a scant amount of clutch time in this series. Again, clutch time, game within five points, five minutes or fewer to go. But in those few minutes, Boston in this series has an offensive rating of 75. They've averaged 0.75 points per possession in clutch minutes against the Miami Heat. There have been two games in which they have entered clutch minutes. They have lost both of those games. And you would think that, well, you know, maybe two games, seven minutes worth of clutch time, not that big of a sample size. Why would you worry about something like that? Why would you worry about their offense in a short sample size like that? Well, the problem is it's not an outlier. The Celtics finished the regular season 26th in clutch net rating. They were outscored by 9.5 points per 100 possessions in clutch time. They had a losing record in games that had entered clutch time. And in those games, they had an offensive rating in clutch minutes of 97.7. So what does that all mean for today? Well, today, in a game in which we're talking about game seven, elimination setting, on the road, game seven seem tend to be tight. They tend to be slow paced. And when you have a total of about 197, you're going to expect probably some clutch time in a game like this, right? It's going to be, I mean, probably the most probabilistic thing would be that you get some clutch minutes in a game like this because it figures to be a tightly contested affair. And if it gets to those clutch minutes, what have we seen from Boston in the regular season? What have we seen from Boston in this postseason? That would make us believe that they can overcome their demons and overcome something like this that has consistently been a problem even after they made all of the uh, upgrades that they did, changed their defensive schemes, and looked like one of the best teams in the NBA coming down the stretch of the regular season and to this point right now. So that's what kind of worries me here about Boston. The flip side of this, I think you're asking yourself is, well, should we worry about their defensive effort? Jimmy Butler obviously killed them, 47 points, 16 to 29 shooting. But I don't think you're worried too much about it. Like, is Butler going to be able to hit contested looks at the rate that he did in that game? If you look at it from the perspective of the other Heat players outside of Jimmy Butler, 20 of 49, that's 40.8% from the floor. They committed 16 turnovers in their game six win. So this has been all about Jimmy Butler. I think Eric Spolstra said it after the game. Jimmy Butler wouldn't let us lose that game. Well, does he have one more in him? Because if the other guys aren't going to start performing here, that's where you start to make the case of Boston winning this game. Again, covering is a whole different animal in terms of laying three on the road. But if you're looking at it from Boston's defense, I don't think you're too worried. Struess and Lowry were better, but still efficient. 10 to 26 combined from the floor. Six turnovers between the two of them. Bam and Abayo, passive as usual. Williams hounding him, six points, three of six from the floor. Seems pretty clear that unless Butler is going to go crazy here, Miami's going to have some trouble scoring. So Miami's offense, and they're forced to work as well. How about this? And I wonder if they're going to replicate this. The final four seconds of the shot clock in game six, Miami went six of 13 overall, four of eight from three-point range. If these possessions are dragged out again, like they were forced to in game six, are they going to get lucky at the end of the shot clock and hit some of these really tight shots? 
I don't think that's the case. So finally, like the final prognosis for me, at least when it comes to this final game seven, I still believe that Boston can win and will win this game. However, you're not getting me to lay three points on the road in a game seven setting and an elimination setting against a team like Miami that is as well coached and good defensively as they. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Personally, I believe that Miami should be favored here. Minus one and a half was what I made this number here in this setting against the Boston Celtics. So the market, like you can see the path the market takes to get to favoring Boston by this much. Uh, but do you want to go that path down that path with them? And, and I would say, no, I don't think you're really getting any value whatsoever with Boston laying this number on the road. So with that, we'll get back to this game. Lots of different ways to look at this thing. we got player props and more. On the other side, let's talk to Adam Stanko, VP of Content, Executive Producer, 24-7 Sports. The draft is upon us in the NBA, and betting opportunities are growing. So let's talk to Adam about a couple of betting opportunities potentially on the board. Decent's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, folks? Welcome in. We got a lot to get to. It's Hardwood Handicappers. It's not just NBA playoffs that are going on. The NBA draft is uh, slowly creeping up on us. The draft order, of course, set about, what, a few weeks ago? Two weeks ago or so. Time flies. Adam Stanko, VP of Content, Executive Producer over 24-7 Sports, is nice enough to give us some time today uh, in a rare hit. So we can talk some NBA draft and some of these players. Adam, I've talked to you for a while. How you been, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's great to uh, it's great to see you again, Jonathan. Great to talk to you. Yeah, I dude, I'm excited. I like this kind of stuff. Draft stuff is fun, and and basketball players and, and what their games are like. It's a lot of good nerdy basketball talk. So I'm totally into it. So let's just start here. Analysis of the top three, and namely the gap that is starting to grow here between Jabari Smith Jr. and Chet Holmgren. Some prices have him as high as minus two twenty five to go with the first overall selection. Now, there's a conversation about positional fit, right? Wendell Carter Jr. just signed an extension in this last October with the Orlando Magic. But I tend to think that you just take the best player available with the first pick in the NBA draft. Do you think the gap should be that big between them? Is it that likely that Smith is the first selection? 
I think it's that likely that he's the first selected. I don't think the gap is is that big. Okay. And in fact, I really think that at the top of this draft, I've said it before, but I think there's there's four tier one guys as far as I'm concerned. And when I say tier one, I mean, that's a lot of times how NBA teams will slot players. They put them into tiers. And you think about a tier one as a guy that's a multi-time all-star um, franchise player for you, face of the franchise, a guy that you can bank on for the next 10 years that's just going to be a standout and and you build around. And and I think there's four of them in this draft. I really do. I, I put Jaden Ivey in that conversation as well. Now, obviously, most evaluators don't feel the same way. They don't feel strong about Jaden Ivey. Certainly, I don't think the draft will play out that way. But I think Jabari Smith ends up going to the Magic. I think there's just a lot of momentum heading in that direction. And there's a lot to love about the kid. I mean, you know, positional size, you talk about his length, his shooting ability, uh, and you just see the room for growth. Someone at that size who shoots it that well is is a complete rarity. And um, I think that's it's pretty wild. Although there is something interesting to be said about the fact that you could pair um, Cole Anthony. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, that you could uh, you could pair Jalen Suggs with uh, his his high school teammate there in Orlando. Um, Chet Holmgren, but I, I don't think they're going in that direction. I think the Magic end up just selecting Jabari Smith and call it a day. Now, I will say this. As we look at these guys as prospects, I was talking with Jim Root over at uh, Three Man Weave the other day on the podcast and, and, and analyzing a guy like Jabari Smith Jr. What, what do you think his ceiling is? Because I see a dude who's like a really elite 3 and D guy in the NBA, but I feel like I want more out of a dude like that. Am I selling him short and calling him an elite 3 and D player? I think so. I, I think so. I think when his handle comes along, I think we're going to see a guy that just explodes at the next level. And that that's seems pretty obvious. One evaluator that I talked to, uh, a workout guy, said to me that you just don't see guys at that size shoot it the way that he does. It's just his, yeah. you see certain guys have that rare ability. There are guys that learn to shoot and there are other guys that are just pure shooters that, that reach just another level in terms of their marksmanship. And shooting 42% with that kind of length, yeah, for certain. And I think the way that you're analyzing it's right, that, that that his floor is a really good 3 and D guy, and then everything builds from there. And I think it's that potential that you fall in love with. So, I, But like I said, I mean, when you start to look around and say Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro and Jaden Ivey, like, I think the top of this draft is just absolutely loaded. Yep, it, there's a lot of talent here. When we, when we talk about Holmgren, I think the first thing that are that's out of a lot of people's mouths, because we, we tend to go negative, too skinny. Uh, what do you make of just the physical build of Holmgren? Because, you know, it's funny. I was watching him the other day, more film on him. I, and I watched some Gonzaga, not enough. And they didn't really use him in this instance. Like, man, his skills really pop when you see some of the stuff offensively, what he can do in terms of creation. I tend to kind of push aside the weight stuff because I think, you know, he can put on pounds, whatever it is. But I'm I'm really impressed. But what do you make of the first thing coming out being, ah, he's too skinny that might not work in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's the knock everybody wants to throw out there for him. My brother, who's a former college coach, he he and I have gone back and forth about it. He says, ah, I don't trust Chet, you know, the strength, the size. I'm, I'm worried about him getting pushed around at the next level. But I see what you see. The talent is just immense. I mean, you're talking about a guy who who shoots it uh, extremely well. I mean, beyond extremely well for a guy that size. I mean, he has legitimate guard skills. His handle is tremendous. He likes to pass the ball. So there's a lot to love in terms of what you get on the offensive end. Then defensively, I mean, the amount of shots that he blocks and then, you know, his rebound rate, I think he played 27 minutes. But to me, the biggest issue actually with Chad Holmgren, we know he's going to put on weight. We know Kevin Durant was knocked when he wasn't that strong uh, prior to the NBA draft when when Durant was coming out. I think the, the question for me with Chad Holmgren is, is it more of a 
of a fitness issue. I think he was out of breath more than I like to see, especially when it came time for the tournament. I think he was worn down, tired. And so for me, it's about him tiring easily and being able to play big minutes. So you know he's going to get stronger. You know that the work is going to be put in, you know, on his core in addition to the things you see muscularly. But actually what I worry about with Chet, like I said, is actually him a physical fitness over the course of a game. And and I think he'll be able to work on that. It's just strictly stamina. And that's something that's going to come uh, with age and better workout routine, better eating habits and all those things. So uh, the strength will end up coming. But yeah, certainly that's a knock. And I, I know it's an easy thing for people to point to and say, oh, this kid's just too skinny. But we do not see skill sets like that. And it's I this Sean Bradley comparisons are ridiculous to me. Chet Holmgren is a tough yeah. kid. Uh, he's mentally tough, physically tough, too. I He'll, he takes on every challenge. I mean, he was asked the other day about who's the best player in the league, and he said me in two months. I mean, it's the kid's ultra confident, and I'm I'm pumped to see him in, in the league. So those two are great, and both of them, you know, we just flashed up the price there. He's minus 210 to go with the second overall pick. Those prices shorter, obviously, than Paolo Bencaro to go to Houston because it seems at least pretty clear when you look around in terms of information, odds, whatever it is, that Bencaro is solidly the third guy, and he's pretty much slot, slotted in to go third to the Houston Rockets. And I have to tell you, again, all these kids are talented, uh, but Adam, I think Paolo Bencaro might be my favorite player in this draft. They, mm. He just seems the most NBA ready. I like his body when you're talking about a dude who looks like, what is he, like 6'8", 6'9", about 240, 250. He, he seems like he's got the physical nature to do so. Now, there's flaws there, and I think defensively, I do wonder what he is on the next level, how good he can be. But I think he would work really well next to a Jalen Green type over in Houston. But is there any shot you could see a Bancaro leap up to a first overall selection? He's as high as 13 to 1 to go first overall. I don't see him going first overall. I think once we get first, when I anal analyze the draft, always it's that everything then plays out from number one is usually pretty easy to figure out, even though you start to see, um, you know, the media especially starts to really pump. Oh, who else could push for that? Number one, who else could go first overall? So you start to see other names pop up. It happens every year during the draft. It doesn't matter whether the execs have already figured this out. They could shout it from the rooftops. It wouldn't matter. It, Everyone sort of knows who ends up going first. And then really the wild card is how how close are you able to keep your cards to your vest if you're if you're at number two. And I think you're talking about Sam Presti there. And I think the interesting thing with Bancaro is, well, I don't see him going number one. Not that I don't think he deserves it. Obviously, I think he has that kind of talent. I think he has that kind of potential. Uh, I just don't see it happening this year. Um, and you start to talk again about positional fit. I'm not sure if it's there. But but regardless, you're clearly taking the best available player. I think in the top five, you take the best available player regardless. But um, I think in, in Paolo's case, I think, um, yeah, you're getting a superstar at the next level. But I do think that just because of the way things are probably going to shake out, I'm thinking that Jabari Smith goes first, Chad Hungren goes first, second, and then and then we see uh, Ben Carroll go third to, to the Rockets. But And I'm with you. I mean, with Jalen Green, I think with Ben Carroll, you're talking about a guy who reminds me a lot of Carmelo Anthony, almost a little bit stronger. Um and, you know, but has that smoothness to his game, just offensively so polished for his size. He's got that explosiveness. And so I, I love his potential. And, yeah, defensively, he needs work. There's no question about that. But I really don't have major doubts about that at the next level. Man, we could talk about this forever. All right, our last two and a half minutes here with Adam Stanko. Uh, we'll go We'll go with the big one then. Is Shaden Sharp really worth the risk here? That It's wild to me with, with such little data on what seems to be a very talented kid that he seems very, very safely uh, like top five, top six. Yep. 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 Exactly. I, I'll say I think he is. And I'll, I'll, I'll say why. That's because I think, like I said, I think top four we're talking about as tier one guys. And I again, I personally throw Jaden Ivey in that conversation. Um, and 
Ben Mather and I would also put there when you talk about top five. But after that, this nice. draft, it drops off severely. And I think that I know there's a lot of talk. People love Keegan Murray and, and what have you. But really, to me, um, you, t- you start to take a look at wildcard guys that are out there and say, look, I may not have, as you point out, uh, all the data points that I want um, with Shaden Sharp. There's a lot of question marks there. But just the raw talent alone, I mean, his ability to shoot the basketball, incredibly explosive, an unbelievable athlete. He's going to be at, you know, highlights all the time with this kid. Is he going to be polished? Does he have a lot of work to do? For sure. But also, we're always taking projects at this point. I think it's the last 10 years, the top two picks have been 19 years old. Uh, So you're always taking guys that you are trying to project out anyway, and that you know your own coaching staff, your own resources you want to put into for your own franchise. And GMs are, you know, they always feel there's an arrogance there where they know that they uh, they think they can get a guy to the next level. So I think they're going to take a risk on Shaden Sharp, and I do think he is worth that risk. Adam, we are up against it, but I appreciate some time, man. Thank you very much. Anytime, anytime, Jonathan. Thanks, man. Adam Stanko, again, uh, Naismith Lives up on Twitter is where you want to find him. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff that you can find. And again, 24-7 sports and check out everything. Yeah, we all we all know how that is over 24-7. All right, we'll come back. We're going to get more into the NBA draft, by the way. We have odds on the top five selections up at DraftKings now, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Shaden Sharp is a fascinating, fascinating talent. Like we talked about, not a lot of data points, but still seems to be safely nestled in that top five. And we'll talk a little bit more about Adam. Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray. And Murray's got an interesting prop up in terms of one of the selections. On the way back preview the NBA Finals. We know one of the teams. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Winning has never looked better. Make free hoops and soccer picks for a shot at a sweet payday with the H&M Wear That Feeling Prediction Series. Enter three pools and compete for your share of $15,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash H&M now to get in on the action. H&M, to make everyone look and feel good. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back in. There's Hardwood Handicappers here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. A good show. Coming up in 15 minutes, Vidi Mayu is going to join us. Get the bookmaker's perspective on everything that has gone down here in the NBA postseason. Um, the market's overwhelming love for the Boston Celtics, even more so than mine. And I thought I loved them, uh, not the most, but, you know, a lot. Um, and how this Game 7 gets handled from a total betting standpoint, all that good stuff. So Vinny's going to join us coming up in 15. Uh, let's talk about the NBA Finals. So we know that we get one team in there. Uh, and can I just say, too, really quickly, from like a, a basketball fan standpoint, when the Warriors dynasty started getting going, I was kind of like, ugh, like, here we go, right? Especially after they got Kevin Durant. But the Warriors, who are now minus 175 to win the NBA Finals, got to say, man, it's pretty bleeping cool that this team is back to where they're at here in terms of the NBA Finals. You know, especially because it's that core that we have that we know, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry. Um, but everything this team has gone through in terms of injuries, keeping it together, Steve Kerr continues to be one of the best head coaches in the NBA and the way that they just draft and develop talent, Jordan Poole, obviously, as we know, uh, getting a lot out of Andrew Wiggins when everybody thought that he was going to be, you know, an afterthought. Um, of course, we have a lot of pundits out there. There's the famous clip Nick Wright of Fox Sports was uh, tweeting around that he thought the Warriors would never get back to an NBA Finals after they acquired Andrew Wiggins. Um, and just like the little things, right, the little things like Steph Curry putting on more weight in the offseason so that he can get ready to play more of an aggressive downhill role in some of his, uh, you know, in some of these games. And it has really shown in his game over the last season and a half, like all of these little things 
it is pretty cool to see this team get back uh, to this point right now, especially doing it in a different way with a different set of guys around the core three. So with that being said, you know, when we look at either one of these NBA Finals series, and we'll, we'll start with first a Boston Celtics NBA Finals series, you know, I kind of came into this when it came to the thought of the Boston Celtics, right? You know, I, I thought that Boston would be favored in a series against the Golden State Warriors, despite not having home court. And that would be the case. And I was kind of down with that. But as we have seen now, and Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate Superbook has been great on keeping up with these potential NBA final series prices. And the initial one that we saw was Warriors minus 120 in that series. Well, now, as you can see, and this is from just yesterday, uh, according to Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate Superbook, the Warriors would be a $1.50 favorite in an NBA finals over the Boston Celtics. And I would agree with that. I, I would agree with the fact that the Warriors power rating is climbing mainly because I think the Celtics is starting to fall. But it's weird given the dynamic um, of how the market has been betting the Celtics on a day-to-day -day basis in this series against Miami. But the question I was asking myself after watching them consistently struggle is, you know, I still think they're the higher power rated team, but I've come off with a stance of, you know what, maybe Boston should be the favorite in a series against Golden State, despite not having home court, much like they were in this series against Miami. If this series was played on a neutral setting, right, like an Orlando bubble, then you can make the case that Boston should be favored. But Given the fact that we know home court has been worth four points in this postseason and how Boston has kind of scuffled along here offensively, I think it's fair that the Celtics would be an underdog in this series to the Golden State Warriors. Now, from there, we get to the basketball stuff. Now, they split a regular season series. You see it right there. Nothing really to take from either one of those results. Boston had a plus 7.8 net rating through two games. It's, you know, they outscored the Warriors by 7.8 points per 100 possessions. Nothing really to take away from two games. Also, you'll hear this thrown about a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people will put a lot of weight on it. But there is exactly one team in the Steve Kerr era that has a winning record against the Golden State Warriors, and that would be the Boston Celtics. The Celtics uh, have a winning record, the lone franchise to do so against the Steve Kerr-led Golden State Warriors. I think it means nothing because Steve Kerr has been with this team since 2014, and we know that this core of youngsters for the Boston Celtics has made it to three different Eastern Conference Finals berths, but I don't really think you take away a lot from that. Although the last few years they have played the Warriors better, and I do think it's an interesting matchup. So let's start with this Boston defense because we know how good Boston is defensively. We see it all the time. We've seen it in the series against Miami. And they're going to be willing to switch a vast majority of matchups. But I think what really sticks out is, like, look at the size advantage that, that a Boston Celtics would have in a series with the in, with the uh, Golden State Warriors. Marcus Smart, 6'4", Jalen Brown, 6'6", Jason Tatum, 6'8", Al Horford, 6'9", Robert Williams, 6'9". That would be their starting five. And on the flip side, you have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, who are 6'2", 6'6", 6'7". Draymond Green is officially listed as 6'6", now, and Kevon Looney, who's listed at 6'9". It's a pretty good size discrepancy, at least from a starting five standpoint, that works in the favor of the Boston Celtics. And that size and length could help Boston exacerbate some of the issues the Warriors have had. Golden State still turning the ball over at a relatively high clip in the postseason. 15% of their possessions in non-garbage time minutes have ended in a, a turnover. That was 15.2% in the regular season, and they finished, remember, 29th in offensive turnover rate, so that's still going to be a problem, it seems, against the Celtics. Celtics not the pro, like the most proficient like defensive team when it comes to forcing turnovers, uh, but still an advantage in length and size could allow you to start forcing turnovers a little bit of a higher clip. And I think also Boston pretty uniquely equipped to handle the way the Golden State Warriors run their offense. Those dribble handoffs and smaller lineups that we see a lot from the Golden State Warriors, I think those Celtics can match up pretty well with them. In the postseason, only Miami has run more dribble handoffs in terms of frequency than 
the Golden State Warriors, and the Celtics do pretty good against that. It was one of the things that gave the Mavericks a really big problem, right? The Mavericks were so used to guarding traditional pick-and-roll sets, and the Suns have a little bit more wrinkles to their traditional pick-and-rolls. They run a lot of Spain pick-and-rolls and whatnot, but still, it's a little bit more different to guard traditional pick-and-rolls like you did against Utah, like you did against Phoenix, as opposed to smaller lineups, dribble handoffs all over the place, pin-downs, all of these things that you have to deal with. They throw so much of you, so much at your defense on any given possession. But Boston's uniquely equipped to handle that. As I mentioned, they're going to be willing to switch one through four, one through five sometimes, depending on what the lineup is. And you'll be able to, I think, keep up with that as opposed to having like a weak link to be hunted. I mean, think about that starting five. There's really no weak link to be hunted for Boston, unlike the Golden State Warriors who can go after like a Luka Doncic type or what have you in some of those different lineups. So, and the other part too is, you would think that Boston's not going to have to double Steph Curry like the Dallas Mavericks were trying to do. Curry's assists were way up in that series because they were doubling him, blitzing screens, doing all of those things. And so who what, what happened? Von Looney was slipping those screens. If you're getting doubled, you're kicking it out to a Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole or an Andrew Wiggins, and they're scoring off of those. If you're Boston, you feel like you probably don't have to do that, right? You, you have faith in your defenders. You'll switch stuff. You'll have faith in one-on-one and Marcus Smart and Steph Curry. You'll have faith in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, what have you. So you don't really have to do that much. And so you wonder if Golden State, who has averaged 117.8 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time in this postseason, starts to look offensively more like the team that played Memphis. And remember, in that series against Memphis, their offensive rating was 108.3. They barely got by in that series, as we know. So maybe you start to see more of a little bit of a grinded-down offensive output from the Golden State Warriors against Boston. And on the other end, you have to worry about how Boston handles the different defenses. We were talking about the turnovers for Boston right at the top of the show how that's really held them back in this series against Miami. Well, we've seen Steve Kerr operate as head coach. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at the Boston Celtics. They're going to run zone. They're going to run box and one. They're going to run man-to-man. They're going to run all sorts of stuff. And the difference is, if you're Steve Kerr, I don't think there's really one guy that you're focusing on. Like, yes, Jason Tatum is the best player for the Boston Celtics. But if you're doubling a Jason Tatum, He's not kicking it out to Reggie Bullock, right? He's not trying to find a Jalen Brunson who's somewhat small in every single matchup. He's giving up a lot of size. Well, he's going to find a Jalen Brown. He's going to find a Marcus Smart. So how that push and pull happens is going to be pretty fascinating. But I do think Boston matches up well with Golden State. And on the flip side, we're talking about Miami in a potential series with the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors, $2.60 favorite on the projected series price over at the Westgate Superbook and that NBA Finals potentially. I think the matchups flip. and And I do like a lot more of what the Golden State Warriors can do in that kind of a matchup as opposed to what they can do against the Boston Celtics. I think that price is very apt. I mean, think about it from the perspective of what we're talking about from defense. So we talked about a team like Dallas who is really, really hyper-focused on one guy as their offensive creator. Well, doesn't that sound like the Miami Heat? Who's the guy who's creating offense for Miami outside of Jimmy Butler? Absolutely nobody. And yes, you know, the Miami Heat, they're a little bit smaller. So you're not going to have that massive size discrepancy that you do have against, and I shouldn't call it massive, but that size discrepancy that's going to be there against Boston won't really be there against Miami. And all of a sudden, now your defense, you can start to run those doubles and blitzes, and you can start to run box and one sets against the Jimmy Butler type. You can see similar defensive game plans like you did against Dallas, and I think that would really bother the Miami Heat, a Heat team who, when their offense has looked atrocious, Remember those two games right before game six, game four and game five, offensive rating of 80.6 against the Celtics. You could see a similar offensive output from the Heat in a series against the Golden State Warriors. So, like I, when it comes down to this, it's pretty much simple. If we're talking about Golden State and Boston, I think Boston wins that series, and I would have faith in them to do so. I have a future on them to do so, so obviously I have faith in them to do so. 
If it's Golden State and Miami, shocker, the minus 250, 260 favorite, I would think has a very good advantage in a matchup like that against the Miami Heat. And by the way, I know it's just the regular season, but the numbers in the regular season also dictate that matchup works very much in the favor of the Golden State Warriors as well. All right, second hour. Well, and I know we got 15 minutes left, but when we come back to the second hour, we're going to get to player props, different angles, Eastern Conference Finals MVP. I didn't have time. We'll touch on Finals MVP markets as well uh, when we get there right before we talk to Will Hill. But on the other side, let's get the bookmaker's perspective on what's going down with this game seven and how an NBA Finals might look. Vinny Maiulo, senior odds maker here at VSIN, is going to join us. What is going on with this betting market? Why do they love the Boston Celtics so much? We'll talk to Vinny about that coming back. Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com. Check the current betting splits data. Betting splits page will show you where the money and bets are moving for every game. And now it's updated every 10 minutes so you can see the changes in all the action. We'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets, where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, future events as well. Betting splits are another way. VSIN's here to make you smarter, better year round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at vsin.com. Do I, uh, I'm, I'll mention that I'm getting absolutely smoked in a, uh, in a wager that I made. Took a little shot at the New York Liberty taking on the Seattle Storm, who are, well, they're only down by 20. So, yeah, it's all right. It's a new venture. Daniel Avari will be coming on later to lecture me about my WNBA knowledge. Vinny Mayulo is nice enough to give us a couple of minutes today. Get the bookmaker side of things when it comes to the love for the Boston Celtics in this contest. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. First, before we get to Vinny, though, we do get breaking news during the break. Uh, that would be that one Tyler Hero is expected to play here for Miami in Game 7, a much-needed offensive outlet for the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler, of course, been a one-man show for the last couple of games, and last game really paid off. So with that, Vinny is uh, welcoming us in here. Vinny, it is uh, nice to talk to you. Appreciate it. So as we get that news, nothing really happening yet except for the total, which is not surprising. Tyler Hero is probably worth more to the total than he would be to the side, up to 197.5 over at the South Point. So I wanted to ask you this. Yeah. So I'm a big pro Celtics guy. i got a future on them. I rate them as the highest team in the NBA. Uh, but not this high. What, what has this been like looking at this money coming in on Boston, not just today, but for the last couple of games? It seems like the market's been all over the Celtics. Well, I think when you look at the, you look at the Celtics, JVT, um, probably, you know, except going into today, maybe, you know, they've, they've overcome their injuries probably better, right? I mean, besides Tyler Hero for the Heat, uh, 
but then they still won the other day too. So um, there's just been a, an, a, an affection for the Celtics. There's a lot more support. The other part is you're more of a public team too, right? Over uh, uh, over the years, and, and uh, this year is no. So, you know, he really haven't gotten the respect that <laughs> that they deserve. But the uh, the folks also they started riding that Celtic bandwagon, JVT, and you were on them. Uh, you know, uh, about uh, you know six uh, about six eight weeks to go in the season when they caught fire. And uh, people have really supported them ever since and right through uh, through the postseason as well. So when you're looking at this from the perspective of like today, for example, a team on the road in a game seven, like I guess not how unheralded it is, but that's a surprising thing, right? Like that gives you an idea of how high this team is power rated. This team was catching one in game two in Miami. Now they're laying three here in this situation in a game seven video that tells you that's a wild amount of support here for the Boston Celtics. And the fact that it's not coming down, that it continues to climb. It's from two and a half right. to three for today. Yeah. We used two and a half on the opener JVT thinking that we might, you know, see, uh, see some heat money. And now with hero looking like he's going to play. You might see it. I mean, that's where the to- uh, total is going up. We were down to 197 off the 200 opener, and now it's starting to creep up. And public will be all over the the, uh, the over in this game as well. They'll love to parlay either side to, to the over. But you're right, JVT. But let's remember this too. Uh, you know, the uh, the Celtics, even though they were dogs in Game One, they were they were favored for the series. They were better than eight to five, a dollar sixty five uh, going into uh, uh, into this series. So. Uh, there was support for them there, and uh, we we recognized it. Yeah, it's it, it's very hard. It's very rare to see uh, a, a favorite, much less a, you know up to three points uh, in a in a game seven, a favorite on the road uh, in a game seven scenario. But again, it speaks to uh, to the support uh, that uh, the, the Celtics have had here for the last couple of months. So you mentioned something about the total here. I actually thought that the public would think, ah, game seven, game's got to go under. Public support actually comes in on the over in situations like this. I would assume also because well, the total is under two hundred. Well, it 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 went it, it came down, but uh, the public when they start making their parlays, ABT, and you know we're going to tip off here at five thirty Pacific time uh, between now and then. And with the announcement of Hero, and if and frankly, if everybody else plays, which I think personally these guys are going to give it, it's a game seven, so you're going to probably yeah. see uh, just about everybody. I'm not anticipating. Uh, players not making, uh, you know, uh, being uh, being on the floor for this one. Uh, I think once uh, once people realize that uh, they're gonna they're gonna uh, be on uh, be on the over here. Yeah, so it's not gonna surprise me to see either Celtics and over or Heat and over in terms of parlays as we uh, uh, we get between now and uh, tip off. So the Warriors are, are waiting in the wings to see who they're gonna play. Obviously, after the result of tonight. Um, what's the difference in handle for an NBA finals between Golden State and Boston as opposed to Golden State and Miami? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think I think that the Celtics Warriors series probably garners a lot more attention, a lot more betting uh, attention. Right? Uh, mentioned the fact that uh, the Celtics, you know, they 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 whether you know they they've been a traditionally a public team, and everybody gets that sentiment back for them and everything. Uh, and the Warriors, let's face it, uh, being into you know what's a six uh, six finals in the last eight years, uh, they've uh, they've become uh, as much of a public uh, a team as as anybody. So I think the handle is uh, is certainly higher. But again, it's still the NBA Finals, and people are going to get involved with it. and They're going to be here, and you see the visitation in Las Vegas, and you know the locals here uh, that uh, you know they're going to get involved with uh, with their mobile apps. But there's no question. Uh, the Celtics, I think the Celtics Warriors probably 
uh, maybe 20% higher. Uh, but again, and the Celtics too, you're probably wondering what's the difference in the price. Celtics are going to be, Warriors will be lower against the Celtics than they would be against the Heat JVT. I'm thinking anywhere from seven to five to three to two. So a dollar 40, maybe the dollar 50. Uh, going against the Heat, maybe a dollar 75 to 85. And I think it'll depend too on if there's any liability out there in future books on the part of, uh, of the house. How's the South Point in terms of these last three teams from a liability standpoint? Pretty good. We're okay. Uh, I think uh, a better, uh, we're in better shape with the uh, the Celtics and the uh, and the Warriors. The Heat. Uh, I think the Heat were a bit, a little bit surprised some people this year, uh, but uh, nothing, uh, nothing like last year with the Suns. You know, we saw the Suns last year uh, yeah. were a pretty big uh, liability for us. In fact, they were a liability for us again this year going into the playoffs. But nothing. Uh, Nothing like uh, like last year uh, with uh, with Phoenix. So I'm curious. I, I mean, I don't. I I feel like I know who would be, but I'm curious your thoughts, Vinny. Who would be the public side in a Golden State Boston series? Yeah, you know what, JVT. Uh, I would say probably with the Warriors, with the home court, and again in the pros, not maybe not as much. And and we've seen the Celtics to do well on on the road. Well, we've seen the Warriors do well on the road too. Public probably who who's home? That's who the public is right. going yep. on, uh, you know, by game. So, uh, but we've seen in recent years the Warriors being such a popular team here. Uh, you know, it's, we know that this is a Laker town, uh, but the fact is, JVT, that the Warriors have garnered so much uh, so much interest in the last few years. And I mentioned uh, obviously being in the finals now six times in, uh, in the last eight years. So they've really uh, become a very public team. Uh, I would say the team, the home teams are going to draw the betting attention. And then again, you know, maybe the zigzag theory, I think folks are going to get involved with that uh, when it comes uh, to the finals uh, as well. So we, we've seen now like game six was pretty good between Boston and Miami, uh, Boston and Miami. But this postseason as a whole, we've seen quite a few lopsided results. Ha- have the blown outs yep. here that they've been a big topic. Has that hurt handle at all to your observation? That's at least noticeable. Not not that bad, uh, actually. No, folks still getting by. I mean, I wish I wish the games were better. Uh, I wish it was a little. But you know, the other part is, uh, you know, with the one-sided games, the one-sided results, JB, there's been one-sided betting. There hasn't been as much as much two-way uh, two-way betting as uh, we'd like to see. And you know, again, I think that speaks to uh, to the you know when when there is a blow, when there is a, a run on a team, they've been uh, they've been pretty uh, pretty supported. So. Uh, but I don't think that the blowouts have really negatively impacted the handle that much. Maybe, maybe the end game more so JVT, yeah. because, you know, as we get closer into that fourth quarter, those blowouts there, uh, it's definitely impacted the end game more than the, uh, the pregame wagering. How's it been comparing to, to hockey in terms of a handle? Yeah, well, hockey, listen, hockey, we, we know is the fourth, uh, handle sport, but it is the playoffs. Uh, better two-way action. Those games have been a lot better, and those series have been a lot better. We saw what uh, just about every uh, all but one, I think, uh, went uh, went to seven games in the first round. But you know the uh, the NBA is uh, is you know second basketball is right behind football uh, when it comes to betting handle. Then it'll be baseball because of the length of the season, and the hockey's fourth. But the hockey handle does pick up uh, when we get to the to the postseason. And you got now uh, with the defending uh, two-time defending cup champions. In Tampa going still involved, you've got uh, the Avalanches have become a really popular team, and you got to love this Edmonton team and what they've done with McDavid. So I think uh, 
And if the Rangers get in, uh, that's certainly going to help the handle, especially here in town. Let's remember, we got a lot of transplants here, uh, JVT, and uh, certainly uh, New York is uh, a city that's uh, seen a lot of uh, folks migrate here, and uh, the Rangers will get a lot of support if they get through the next, uh, through uh, Game 7 tomorrow. Vinny, appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you very much. Always good to be on with you, JVT. Have a great day and have a good uh, day tomorrow. Thanks, man. You too. Only tomorrow, though, huh? Only tomorrow. I guess he doesn't think I'm going to have a good day the day after tomorrow. It's fine. All right, we'll come back. Second hour. William Hill is going to be with us, get his thoughts on how we're going to handle Game 7. Uh, and also Daniel Alvari with our weekly WNBA hit on what's going on there and see if we can find some value. I'll tell you what, the Las Vegas Aces, they are revolutionizing the WNBA. We'll talk to Daniel about that in an hour. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.